I wonder if back in 2018, any of you received an invitation in the mail that read something like this. His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, requests the pleasure of the company of your name at the marriage of His Royal Highness, Prince Henry of Wales, with Miss Meghan Markle. Any of you receive it? Your faces look like maybe mine does because similar with you, it must have got lost in the mail, right? Somewhere across the Atlantic because you didn't receive it like I didn't receive it. For others of you, imagine this, right? You get a, you get a letter in the mail, an invitation from your favorite artist or band inviting you to the concert. Front row tickets are there. Backstage passes are included. How many of us, whether it was to the royal wedding or to this, your favorite band, and you have the tickets and everything. How many of us are thinking, man, I'm too busy with work. I got too much going on with sports. I got too much going on with the farm. I got too much going on, whatever in life, that I couldn't make something happen. My assumption is all of us, right? Though what's amazing today is, as we come here to Matthew 22, is the invitation is given to come and celebrate the son of the king of heaven. It's an amazing story, an amazing, amazing invitation to this feast of all feasts, the party of all parties. And yet the warning from this text comes to us this, that those who are in closest proximity to Jesus often miss him. Those who are in closest proximity, those who were aware and knew and knew about the invitation and the party coming are actually people who miss it. Right? I mean, the people of Israel, think about this. They had the law, they had the prophets. They had the temple, and on and on. And yet, here is Jesus, the Son of God, staring them in the face, and they're rejecting the invitation. It's an amazing moment that I think would cause all of of us today to pause and examine and to say, do I truly know the Son of God? Do I know Him? I mean, it's more than relying upon what we, we know here. It's relying upon who we know. It's more than just about what you've done. It's what he's done. And so this text comes to us today, this third of Jesus, this trio of parables he's told us now, the third and last one comes, and it teaches us this big truth, that mercy, not merit, earns your way into the kingdom. It's mercy, not merit, that earns your way into the kingdom. Or simply we might say this, grace, not good works, qualifies you and I to enter the kingdom. Today's text gives us maybe three things we should do and three things we should avoid as Jesus unfolds this parable to us. The first is a call to respond and not reject. The other is to remember that it's mercy, not merit. And last, he calls us, calls us to be clothed, not conning. And so we're going to walk through this text today by God's grace and see these truths coming up to us to remind us that it's mercy, not merit, that qualifies us to enter the kingdom. Because today's truth is it's salvation given, not earned. And that is so countercultural, right? When we think about that, we think about it's earned, not given. But salvation is given, not earned. If you would, turn me, would, Matthew chapter 22, hearing this first truth, respond, not refuse. Respond, not refuse. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. This is his third parable, saying, verse 2 of Matthew 22. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now think about that. Listen, so Jesus is telling us, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? It's like a wedding feast that a king is giving for his son, his only son, right? I mean, this is how exciting the kingdom of heaven is. It's a party. 
It's a celebration. It's, it's, the, it's the climax, right? It's the wedding feast. I mean, think about this. This is the greatest celebration that anyone could ever comprehend. It's given by the wealthiest person imaginable for the most honored person imaginable. Right? I mean, this is unbelievable who is giving this party. This is the king of all kings giving the party for the Son of God. It is a celebration. I mean, could you imagine, right? I mean, again, you think about the royal wedding. My assumption is they weren't thinking about how can we hold back and skimp on things at the royal wedding. They just weren't. Right? I mean, that's why, again, I think 600 invites went out, which we got zero of in this room, right? The reality is, I mean, it was a unique setting and time, but man, they were going all out for the wedding. Can you imagine the celebration of the God of the universe who has unlimited resources and powers? How he's going to celebrate the most valuable person who's ever lived, the Son of God. That's the party. And I think what's ironic is, man, if we're just being really honest, it is a work of Satan and darkness. It's because so many times people think of hell like a what? A party, don't they? Satan is always trying to con what God has done. And it's always counterfeit, and it's always deception, man. It's the apple that looks good, but on the inside bite is poison, and there's a curse. Man, hell is not a place, as we're going to see today in the text, it is not a place of a party. But man, if you want to celebrate for all eternity, come know the king. Come know the king. Respond, not refuse. I mean, can you imagine? God is celebrating his son, but guess what? This marriage feast that's coming as we look toward Revelation 19 and on, as we launch toward the future to what's to come, this is when God has all of his kids home. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that today? Think of that scene. When you see some of you, it's a spouse that's already gone on who's with the Lord. When your mom and dad, you're back with them together. When your grandparents are there worshiping aunts and uncles, church members and friends, those that are in Christ, some of you, it's children that have already gone on. Maybe for some of you, it's children you've never even met through miscarriage and other things. Can you imagine everyone home? This celebration is full. But I want to be clear today. If you reject this invitation, you will not be there. Today's call is to respond and not refuse. Why would someone refuse this? Look what it says, verse 3. And he sent servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Right? So listen a little bit of this, just kind of understanding Mid-Eastern culture and that day and time. Listen, nobody was walking around with phones in their pockets or watches on their hands, Okay. It took a long time to get a wedding feast like this together. And so the initial invitation will be sent out saying, hey, listen, there's going to be a wedding feast. We want to know, are you in? They're like, hey, we're in. Well, guess what? When you're in, guess what? When the time comes, we'll send our servants. They'll say, listen, the feast is ready. Let's go. That's what happens here. They come and it says they were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. I mean, I think even just in a moment, like, Guys, this has to say something about the nature of our God, our God, doesn't it? His desire is to celebrate himself, but listen, he wants to share his joy with you. He wants to celebrate with you. He invites you to come and celebrate his son, to participate and experience his joy and his goodness and his love. I mean, this is God pursuing undeserving sinners. This is the gospel. This is God sending his servants to you. It's you hearing God's word this morning inviting you respond come to the feast and celebrate the sun but it says verse three there they would not come Uh, again remember this is tuesday of 
Passion Week, right? Friday is when Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross. And and so there's a lot happening. But Jesus is there in the temple, and he's been telling this. He's been healing. He's cleansed the temple. There's all kinds of things happening. I can imagine that Jesus is telling this story, and there almost would be like a gasp in the crowd, like, what? Like, you you just didn't do that. Culturally, that's not acceptable. If you get the invite, you go. And especially if you get invited to a party like that, like, you don't turn that down. But it says they would not come. So what's God's response going to be? Listen to this, verse 4. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. I mean, can you imagine? This is the king after all. How offended must he have been to not get invited or to refuse his invitation, right? I mean, can you imagine that? There must be just this offense, but look what he does. He overlooks the offense and continues to show grace. I don't know about your family. I was talking with another young family this morning. It was like chaos getting here today. It was crazy at our house. And we're riding down here and like, I don't know about you, but like, I mean, it's just like, it was on like Donkey Kong and the Jesse van. And we jump out and guess what we do? The same thing most of you do. Hey, we're the Jessies. Everything's great. We're so glad to be here. We've all got our Bibles, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's. Guys. It's hard to overlook offenses. We can pretend and play and smile on the outside, but the inside, man, I want you and I to see this is God's heart. This is God's heart of grace and mercy toward you and I. Even though we've rejected the invitation, he continues to come to you today in the eye and say, come, I forgive all that you've done. I know it's not been your best week. I know you've got so much shame and guilt in the past. I'm still inviting you to come. I've not stopped loving you. I've not given up on you. I mean, this is a moment. You have to understand a little bit of the timeline of the story, right? So when the first servants go, the first servants represent the prophets of old, the Old Testament prophets who were saying, listen, this is about God's kingdom and this is God's law that we are to obey in the temple and looking forward to sacrifice. But one day there's going to come a real son, a perfect lamb. There's going to come one who's going to redeem and save us. And so guess what? That's what Jesus says in the story. Again, he sent other servants who were saying, guess what, guys? Now's the time. The feast is here. You've been waiting for it. So, guys, these other servants represent John the Baptist, Jesus, the disciples who are saying the kingdom of heaven is here. You've been hearing about it throughout all the Old Testament books, waiting for the king to come. The kingdom is here. The king has come. The party is ready. I think it's a reminder to us that God doesn't quit pursuing those who have rejected him. It's just this reminder that God hasn't given up on you today. You may feel like that, but the reminder is the fact that you are even here today is a reminder of God's grace and kindness to you. He's continuing to show you grace and mercy. Furthermore, might this remind us when it comes time to share the gospel that we don't give up. We keep pursuing, right? We don't don't grow weary. Even if people reject or maybe they don't want to hear about it, we don't give up on them. We just keep loving those people in our family that are hard to love. We keep sharing the gospel with coworkers and friends. We don't give up. We would think, man, surely now these guys who maybe didn't come the first time, now they hear the party's ready, there's other servants, surely now they're going to respond. Listen to what happens in verse 5. But they paid no attention. The word paid no attention indicates to us that 
we might, it depends on your translation, it says they didn't care. They didn't care. So what? Who cares if this is God's son? Who cares if this is a feast, a party? Look what, look what it's, listen to what they do. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. I mean, this is hard, isn't it? They consider their lives more valuable than the king. They consider their present kingdom more valuable than the kingdom that is to come. They're valuing more the pleasures of this world than treasuring Christ. They're pursuing more riches and things than pursuing the kingdom. Listen to what happens, right? I mean, it says the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Well, what's the king do? For the first time in three parables, Jesus finally says it explicitly. What's going to happen to those who are in rebellion against God? Verse 7 of Matthew 22. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. You may think that's an extreme judgment. So, so imagine this, right? This illustration was helpful. I read this. Imagine the thing about the U.S. Embassy, right? The U.S. Embassy has embassies all throughout the world, other nations, right, scattered throughout. Those people that are there are our representatives, right? They represent the United States. Imagine that last night during the night someone went in, right, some nation went in and literally slaughtered everyone at the embassy. Would you think it would be extreme for the United States to go to war? No, that was an act of war. Do you see it? That was an act of war on our people. Therefore, the response would be a retaliation to respond back to that. The king has been rejected. Jesus says he doesn't take it lightly. Yes, he is long-suffering and patient, but I want you to know, as he told us last week, the king is going to come. He's going to come. Because the king is angry and he sends his troops and he destroys. Notice that it's those murderers, those who have killed his prophets, those who have rejected his son. It's a hard moment, right? Maybe they thought there, these folks, they were too entitled or too indifferent or maybe they were too hardened to see who Christ was. As Pastor R.C. Sproul says, what they have done and what you and I have done is cosmic treason. Our sin is a rebellion against the God of the universe. And he rightfully is going to bring the judgment that you and I deserve. It's a hard text, but Jesus is telling us this for our good, guys, to warn us. I think it's an important point here to see, too, that maybe there's two different groups of folks. There are these folks who obviously resist physically. They're like in rebellion. But the first group of people were indifferent, right? They just kind of like, ah, I got other things to do. Pay no attention. Who cares? Just move on. And I think this reminder comes to us that indifference to Christ and opposition to Christ are both rejection of Christ. Maybe today you're indifferent. You just don't care. Life's so busy. You know what? I'll get to God when I have time. Others, people are, man, they're hostile. Like they're absolutely like in rejection, like rebellion against God and his word. But the truth is whether you're indifferent or whether you're in opposition to Christ, both of those people are rejecting Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a truth that arises to us from the Scripture that we will be wise not to miss. Consider for a moment today that after church somebody says, Hey, listen, I, I got a meal today, man. I would love for you and your family to come over and eat with us after church. And you're like, you know what? That, that sounds great. But how about I just come next week? You're like, well, it won't be there next week. Or imagine this, you get an invitation in, in the mail for a wedding, and you're like, you know what, I would so love to come. I just send our response back that we'll actually be there the day after. Like, well, the wedding won't be then. 
you see, the people in this, they were thinking it like they had more time. Like it's like some of us think that like I, I would like to have God, but I'm just like I, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet to, to give up my way of life and, and doing the things the way I like to do it. I'll come later. I'll come when I'm older. I'll come when I get married. I'll come when I have a family. I'll come when, once my kids get out of the house and things slow down, then I'll get really serious. I think Jesus seems to be warning us all, if you think that way, you'll never come. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Jesus is saying to you and to I, today, not tomorrow. Today, not tomorrow. Guys, I think the warning here is hard. But I think we need to hear it. I think it's interesting, right, that 2,000 years later, this parable connects with us. I mean, consider for a moment how often people have no time to worship, no time to serve, no time to disciple others. Why? Because of the same exact things, right, that we see here in this text. The farms got them occupied, work, business has got them occupied, the things of the world are consuming them, sports, activities, like they just have no time. The very same things that happened here in this parable 2,000 years later are still coming against us. They're still blocking our way, hindering us from doing the things God's called us to do. Look at how foolish it is of these people to reject the king and enjoy his feast. Why? Because they're consumed with the things of the world and they don't see it. You may say, Blake, you know what? That's a little offensive. I'm not sure I appreciate you saying those things. Guys, I think that's the very thing that Jesus was getting at in the parable. It was offensive. Because it was the truth. People were consumed with everything else other than seeking what was most important. Reminding ourselves of Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else will be added to you as well. But we've got it backwards. We're seeking everything else and thinking when I have time, then I'll seek God and His righteousness. That will never work. God will never play second fiddle. Guys, today, hear the truth of the gospel. See the love of your God who continually sends you invitation after invitation, calling you and I to lay down our rebellion and come home. The call is to respond and not refuse. It's a call today and not to tomorrow. But not only that, Jesus shows us, thanks secondly from this text, that it's mercy, not merit. So it's not only a call to respond and not refuse, it's a call to respond to mercy and not merit. It's grace, not good works. Look what he says here. Verse 8, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. It's interesting, that statement there, the main roads, right? The main roads were the place in which, as you journey out of the city, kind of all the roads would come in together, right? And there would be a main thoroughfare, like, into the city. And Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to leave, go out of the city, right, and go out to the, the highway, right? You might hear Luke, right? Luke shares a similar story. He talks about go out to the highways and what? Hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full, right? Similar story. So when Jesus says, go, therefore, to the main roads, he's saying, listen, guys, we need to go out out in the city, right out to where everyone is, and bring in as many people as you can find. Look what he says there. Go therefore to the roads. Invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. But might we ask, why did the people at first not come anyway? Listen as Jesus gives the answer. Back in verse 8, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. They were not worthy. Why were they not worthy? 
because they didn't value the Son. They refused to listen to the prophets of old who pointed them to God's mercy and grace. They refused to listen to John and Jesus himself saying the only way to get into the kingdom that Jesus said in Matthew 5, and it's been a long while now since we studied Matthew 5, but if you look back there to verse 3, as he starts the parable, or speaking there at the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in what? Do you remember? Spirit, for theirs is the kingdom what? Of God, the kingdom of heaven. It was the way of the poor in the spirit. But this text, when it says they're not worthy, reminds us these people are kind of like what we might say the middle in spirit. They're like, uh, they might say, you know what, like I've done some bad things, but I'm not a bad person. Like I'm a good person after all. Like, I mean, I've done a lot of good things. Why would God ever reject me? That's like the middle in the spirit. But the poor in spirit says, man, I'm undone. I'm sinful. I can't hide from this holy God. He sees my heart. Oh, God, have mercy on me. It's the poor in spirit. They realize there's nothing, absolutely nothing they could bring to satisfy God's judgment. Therefore, they must cling to Christ who paid the penalty for them on their behalf. It's the only hope of the gospel. Guys, those who are worthy are those who recognize that acceptance into the kingdom is based upon mercy and not merit. So today, that statement, but those invited were not worthy, The truth is, if you want to be worthy, it's not some good work that you do. It's simply crying out for his mercy and grace. But look what he says to them. Verse 9. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast. I love this statement. As many as you find. That's that's like an evangelistic passage, isn't it? Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Maybe you're thinking today, like, who should we invite to church for next week? As many as you find. Who should you share the gospel with this week? As many what? As you find, right? I mean, it's an evangelistic passage coming from the king himself. So maybe the next time that you're there, just like I am, and you're wondering like, man, I don't know if I should share. I don't know. This may be awkward. I don't know how this is going to go. What should I do? Maybe we might just hear the king saying to us, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Did you find them? Are they in front of you? Then invite them. It's not your job to make them come and respond. It is your job to be faithful, to be the messenger, to deliver the mail. Just invite them to come. Maybe you say, like, there's a real danger in that. Like, man, I mean, like, who might show up here if we just invite whoever we find? I mean, like, what's that going to mean of our church? And, like, what might happen? And does Jesus really mean that? Yes. That's what he means. Look what he says. Verse 10. And those servants, look how they understood it. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, this is a hard statement. It's going to mess with, right? It's going to mess with religious people that day. It'll mess with religious people in this day. Look what he says. Both what, church? Bad and good. Whew. That's a hard statement. Bad and good. Bad and good represents all people, all nationalities, all races, all genders, all social standings. It's, it's, it's whosoever will, right? It's all, as many as you find. Now, the truth is this bad statement likely represents the Gentiles, right? We've been seeing this transition throughout. They're like, the people of Israel keep rejecting Christ. They don't want anything to do with him. And so continually, and you see it throughout the book of Acts. We studied it, in fact, this morning with our kiddos in Sunday school. As we walked through Acts 15 to 18, it was constantly the gospel going to the Gentiles, to other nations, to the bad, right? Because why? They don't have the Old Testament, right? They're the people that live any way they want. They're the wild livers. They're the wild people, right? They just... They seem to live any way they want, do whatever they want. They're the bad people. You don't want those people. Look what he says. 
And those servants went out in the roads and gathered all whom they found. Why? Because as many as you find. Right? I mean, the great preacher, Dr. Robert Smith Jr., reminds us, we don't clean fish before we catch them. It's God who transforms hearts, guys. Our job is to be faithful, to invite whosoever will may come. Will you repent and believe this day? Both bad and good. They haven't earned it. They haven't deserved it. Why? Why is God after this? What is God doing here? Look what, look what the answer is. I love this statement right here. So, here's why. You want to know why they're doing this? Why they're going out bringing whosoever will may come? Look what he says. So the wedding hall was what? Filled with guests. God is after a banquet table that is full of people of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue, of every language, inviting them all to come and worship His Son. God is passionate, right? He is passionate about the banquet table being full. He is a missionary God. Do you see it? He is a determined missionary God. He wants the good and the bad. He's inviting all of us to come. What an invitation! Despite all of the rebellion, despite the fact that, listen, if you were honest today, you say, you know what, Blake, I'm probably more in that bad group than I am in the good group. Guess what? He invites you to come. No excuses. No more Satan telling you too dirty, you've done too much wrong. No, the invitation from the king himself. Go out and find as many as you find. Invite them to come. That's the heart of God being revealed. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Guys, this is not urge us forward to reach this community. This is not urge us forward to changers. This is not urge us forward to Oklahoma. This is not urge our church forward to the nations. This is the heart of God. And if he indwells us, beloved, is that not our heart? So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon lived in London, Baptist preacher in 1860s, and you may have heard of him. He's been titled the Prince of Preachers, just unbelievable man of God and preacher of God. He's commenting on this text, and he gives an illustration I thought was absolutely just wonderful. I want to share it with you. He says, you know what? You always want beggars at your feast. The prim and proper folks come in, and like when the feast and things come in, they're like, hmm, hmm, I don't know how, is that going to be good? Hmm, I don't know. Hmm. But beggars, when beggars are at your feast, they're like, it's coming, here comes another one. Did you see, Did you see that? Like, I mean, it, look at that turkey. Did you see the size of that turkey? Wow. Guys, we need to ask ourselves, have we stopped cheering and praising and amening and worshiping our God? In other words, have we unfortunately become more like the prim and proper folks that Spurgeon was talking about? Have we forgotten that we actually, because of our sinfulness, are actually bad? That we're the blind, the crippled, the lame, the poor. That's us. And we are saved not by merit, but by mercy. Not by our good works, but by grace. Guys, have we forgotten that? Listen, the, sto- the telling of the story is scandalous. Why? Because rich, important people like kings don't invite poor, blind, lame beggars to their banquet. They don't do it. That's how you ruin your social standing as a king. You only invite the most valuable, the wealthiest, the most well-known, because it shows how important you are. But Jesus says God invites the good and the bad. I mean, we've been seeing it throughout these parables, right? I mean, there was two sons, and the one you wouldn't expect was the one who actually came. And he talks about that being the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He says they're actually repenting and believing on the gospel, and they're going to heaven, the kingdom of heaven before you. 
Right, I mean, we see in this text here, like, I mean, it, those weren't the people, like, you, you would expect, surely the people who have got the invitation, the old people, the people of Israel, they knew. Surely they're going to be the ones that respond, but they don't. In fact, it's the good and the bad. It's all these people out in the highways and ditches of life, and they're responding and coming in. Guys, I think it's a reminder to us that we have this struggle with the fact that we think you only get what you earn. But salvation is getting what you've never earned or deserved. It's by grace through faith. It reminds me, like, when I, I was college, and even when I came here, I, I finished college, and I was, Emily and I weren't married yet, and sometimes we would have potluck meals here, right? And, and I'll just be honest, I, I would just show up with nothing, right? I didn't think I needed to really bring anything. I was like, man, I'm young, and nobody wants to eat what I got to cook anyway. And so I would just, like, engage in grace and, like, let's eat the Baptist bird, right? Let's, let's get after it, right? And then something changed. I got married, and Em was like, listen, like, when you show up to a potluck meal, like, there's an expectation, like, that you all do your part. And I'm like, all right, you know, you're right, right? You need, you need to be bringing a meal. Guess what? When it comes to potlucks and meals like that, you're right. We all have our, our responsibility. But when it comes to salvation, that mindset can be cancer. When you think that you're going to bring something to God that's going to make you worthy or acceptable to get into his feast, beloved, it does not work that way. Salvation is by grace through faith. Man, it's a beautiful story. Might remind us of the old song, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. So the Bible shows us here that it's mercy, not merit. It's a call to respond and not refuse. And third and last, I think we hear this truth coming as, as Jesus finished out this section. It's clothed, not conning. To be clothed and not conning. Look what happens here. It's, Verse 11 through 14 are really difficult texts to interpret, and so we're going to do our best, and we pray, God, even now you help us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Challenging text. Listen to what he says, verse 11 through 14. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Right? It's a challenging group of texts, but listen, I think it speaks of, so again, the story is, right, everybody's invited to come to the wedding feast, people come in. Right? There's, there's all kinds of thoughts about what would happen in that day and time. Would the king give everyone garments? What's taking place here? But let's just walk, maybe if we can, slowly just for a few moments and to hear what Jesus is saying because this is a really difficult text and it creates some real challenges and you're going to see it here in a moment. So look what he says. He says he comes in. So the king comes in, right? Again, reminder, king always comes. He comes and he looks at his guest and he sees there a man with no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. He has no excuse. He can't give a, a reason or a justification. Right? I mean, I, I think, and again, this is kind of interpretation I'm making here. It's a challenging one. The, 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 the wedding garment here represents a transformed life. That li a life that's been transformed. Remember, listen, we're coming by mercy and not merit, right? So don't, don't hear that. But the mercy transforms us, doesn't it? I mean, think about this today. If you are a follower of Christ and you are testifying the God who spoke the world into existence from absolutely nothing, you're saying he indwells you, and, and, and then you're going to tell me he doesn't change your life? That, that's not the God of the Bible. God, he trans, guys, he transforms us. And so this man comes in, he has no wedding garment. Right? I mean, listen, I think the reminder is this, that our lives as believers should be obvious as this man's. Right, I mean, to look at this man and have no wedding garment was clear. This man was not a part of the wedding. He hadn't responded appropriately. It was obvious. Guess what? In the same way as believers, it should be obvious to the world that we have our wedding garments on. 
by the way we live our lives. Our lives are different. They are transformed. They are in obedience to the Scriptures. Guys, far too many people, let's be honest, leave this world with the people who knew them best wondering where they are. I want to say this gently in love. But if the only hope that your family has that you've been born again is because your obituary says it, that's a major problem. I just want to be upfront and honest with you. If the only hope that your family has that you are born again is because your obituary says it and there was no transformed life, that's a problem. That's a danger of thinking you could show up because at some point, at some time, you just said something, but there's been no transformation. Guys, if anyone is in Christ, the Bible says you become a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. So I want to ask gently, if you say that you're a Christian, do you live like it? This is a hard, guys, it's a hard one, but listen, man, it, the truth is coming. Like, it, this, you can't miss this. Is your life bearing the fruit? Listen to this truth that Jesus says. Again, it's a, it's a warning parable, right? We have to hear it, hear the warning. Look what he says, verse 13. I think it's interesting, right, that, that no one in the Bible speaks more about hell than Christ. Listen to what he says. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A lot's happening here. Why don't we just walk through it just for a moment. Notice what's happening first. I, I think the realization has finally come. Right? I mean, because the, the person res- responded to the invitation, the call, right? The invitation came. The good, the bad, they came, and he shows up at the wedding feast, but he's not clothed. It's not been a transformation of life, right? Again, saved by grace through faith. But listen, remember, again, that call to abide in the vine. If we abide, we will bear the fruit. It's not us. It's the power of Christ in us. But, but this individual, in whatever way, has is, is passed the first test. But here, here is the reminder to all of us today. It's hard. He's not fooled the king. You, you may fool the preacher. You may fool the church, but the King, the God of the universe, sees you in my heart, guys. I could, with everything in me, I compel you, lay down any pretending. He sees, like, you're, you're not fooling him today. You might fool me. I might be able to fool you. We might be able to fool one another in this place. But none of us are fooling the Most High God, and to Him we must give an account. He's go- the King is going to come. Please, today, hear this mercy and grace saying today it's mercy not merit don't keep those masks on spiritually lay them down come please this hour because listen what jesus says he says bind him hand and foot and cast him in the outer darkness the binding hand and foot is indication that there's no escape of hell it's not like in 10 months or in like 10 years or 10,000 years that people in hell like quit their rebellion and get out. It, it, you're bound hand and foot. Like there's, it's the imagery that there's no escape from hell. Notice what else he says. Cast him into the outer darkness. Right? Throughout scriptures, God is, is defined as light. If you look to the book of Revelation, there's no more sun. You don't need it because God himself is the light. God's presence is where the psalmist says, in his presence is the fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore. 
Guys, you are separated. As James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Hell is a separation from everything good and perfect. Do you hear that? There's no more pleasure. There's no party there. It's, it's darkness. That's what else he says to them again. Jesus is defining hell for us today. Man, I pray that my soul and your soul and the souls of your children and my children will not miss this. In that place, there will be weeping. The weeping is an indication of spiritual, emotional, mental. It's just, it's just this anguish spiritually, emotionally, mentally there. Notice what he says further there. And it's a gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth is an indication of physical pain. Hell is a place of indescribable spiritual agony and unending physical pain. That's what Jesus is saying. Guys, the good news is that doesn't have to be where you end up for eternity. Do you see it? The king has sent his son that, that you would be saved. Nothing do you bring. It's only by grace through faith in the son of God. It's the only escape. But the king knows the heart. And he says to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him in the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine the anger of the religious leaders at this point? He's talking about them. It's Tuesday, but they, this is, helps us understand how did they get to Friday? How did he end up on the cross there on Friday? It's stories like this. Who say, the, guys, look around. The temple's packed. The most religious people around you aren't going into the kingdom because they're rejecting me. So Jesus finishes this statement with this point here. Four, he says. Here's his justification. Many are called, but few are chosen. Super hard statement, right? Reminds us of the balance of the divine and human side. We, we even heard it as we studied in our Sunday school lesson this week about Acts 16, 14, right? Where the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message, but nonetheless she responds. It's, it's a real response of Lydia, right? And so there's this call of God. It goes out, right? An indication there that many, it indicates that like it goes forth to almost all, right? Everyone's hearing this good news, right? Now, listen, that doesn't mean that everybody's hearing the good news of the Bible. No, there's people right now that live with no access. But Paul says in Roman, Romans 1 that God's invisible qualities, his divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so that men and women are without excuse. It says the creation itself declares that there's a God. You see that? The creation today, as you look around you, it's calling to you, saying, there is a creator. There is a God who spoke all of this into existence. Look around and see. And guys, the good news is, again, as you're here today, you're hearing this. The call is coming. And maybe you're saying, but Blake, am I chosen? Like, what's Jesus mean by that? Here, guys, here you go. I answer the question really quickly. Are you chosen? It's simple. Are you willing to repent and believe upon the Son? Or will you continue in rebellion and rejection against Him? That's, that's the simple. Right? Some things are in the mind of God alone. And, and this is one of those hard passages. Many are called, but few are chosen. But the call to you today is, as you hear this gospel come forth, is to repent and believe. Guys, if you reject that, there is no other offer of salvation. There's no other hope. Judgment is coming. Right? I, I compel you today. I mean, isn't it amazing the stories that unfolds? There are people there who have heard this gospel, who have heard the invitation, and they're refusing it. Is that you? Is that you today? Are you, are you refusing it? Today, are you pretending like that one man to show up, like you're going to be okay to show up in the wedding feast? I mean, the reality is it must be that he shows up to the wedding feast without the clothes, indicating that somewhere underneath in that heart of his, he's ultimately relying upon his own goodness. 
He's in rebellion. Even though he pretends like he's a part of the feast, God knows the heart. Listen, might we hear from this text today, Jesus saying that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Man, we might even say like, they might say, Lord, Lord, didn't we go on mission trips? Lord, weren't we the preacher of the church? Lord, didn't we give? Didn't we pray? Lord, weren't we good people? Didn't we serve the poor? And say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Guys, do you know the son? Do you know him? Truly, do you know him today? This is a call to all of us. Do we know the son? Have you truly trusted and believed in him? Are you resting in his work and not your own? Our good works will never qualify us. It's mercy, not merit. To the believer, I think these three parables have to remind us of this one truth that seems to kind of echo through all of them. It's not how you start, but it's how you finish. I mean, the prostitutes and tax collectors obviously did not start well. But man, they repented and believed and they were entering the kingdom. These people on the outside weren't, weren't, they didn't know anything. They weren't tenants, but the kingdom comes to them. They hear the gospel, believe it, and they begin to bear fruit. Today in our story, guess what? The people on the outside and the highways and ditches are the ones, the good and the bad, this gospel comes to. And they hear and believe and they respond and come to the wedding feast. So we might ask, maybe by your baptism you said, I'm coming. But I would ask, have you come? Maybe when you joined the church you said, I'm coming. But have you come? Maybe even today, by your own attendance in this moment, you're, you're I'm coming. But could I ask you, have you come? Have you responded in faith and repentance and trust in Christ alone? Guys, don't rely upon your own clothes. You and I will be exposed. The hope is that there is a God who is merciful and gracious and continues to send the invitation to you and to I today. Don't refuse it, guys. God so loves you that he invites you to come to the wedding feast of his son. Today, hear the gospel, repent, and believe. It's the only hope of salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for forgiveness and grace. Father, I pray for those who are in this place, God, that they would hear this invitation, this call to be forgiven of everything they've done by your grace, not by their works. And Father, I pray they would respond and believe. I pray for the believers in this room, God. I pray that they are bearing fruit, showing themselves to be your disciples. Father, may you, again, by your great grace and your mercy, may you remind us it's not how we start, but how we finish. Lord, I praise you for your grace. No matter where we've been or what we've done, Lord God, you forgive and you are willing to take us back. We can start over. So, Lord, I pray for your people now just to say, that's my king. I desperately need him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, I pray there'll be an urgency to our cries of worship and praise. There'll be a desperation this morning, a humbling, a trembling in this place to come before you. I pray this by the power of Jesus' name, the greatest name that's ever been spoken.